So when, when God first appears to um, Gideon, it's really interesting. So the whole story of Gideon, it's one of the longer ones in the book of Judges. We get multiple chapters talking about who Gideon is and what he's facing. Um, but in chapter 6, it, um, you see this interesting thing of God, the angel of the Lord, going down and meeting with Gideon who is the son, it names his father. So maybe on the, the younger side of, of adulthood, but certainly someone that's come into a, a degree of recognition or prominence. And he's working hiding grain from the Midianites. So I've got a, a, a map, and I don't know how well you guys see maps when we put them up, but just to orient us as to what's happening here, um, that, uh, oh, actually behind me um, that this is the story of the different judges so the different arrows are different judges and and how and where they kind of um, factor in the battles they fight and the areas that they're they're going to be involved with uh, Deborah is first and then Gideon and so Gideon you can see the Sea of Galilee and then the Jordan River will go straight down and, and if the map went further south you'd see the Dead Sea so this is kind of the classic picture of the land of Israel. And what you have on the left of the Jordan River is this very fertile area. So where those two kind of main um, arrows are, this is an incredibly fertile area uh, in Israel. So a lot of farming um, and a lot of agriculture. If you go down to where the, the Dead Sea is, just above the Dead Sea is the town of Jericho, still there today. And it's the oldest continuously inhabited city in the world. Dates back to 10,000 uh, BC. And so what, what everyone has postulated is that agricultural farming was really invented around the town of Jericho because of, of the land that's here and how it was um, below sea level in the Jordan River and, and around the Dead Sea, very deep, lowest place on earth which normalizes temperatures and allowed them to be able to do um, some of the agriculture and farming. If you're not doing agriculture, what are you doing? Anyone under the age of 15 want to guess at that? Anybody? If you're not doing agriculture, what are you doing? Or over the age of 15. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, hunting, hunting and gathering. Um, so herdsmen. And so if you go to Israel today, you'll still see small encampments in different places um, of stateless people that don't want to be claimed kind of by either Palestine or Israel. And so they'll be in desert areas and they're Bedouin shepherds and they're, they're basically herdsmen. And so these herdsmen are going to travel all around on the eastern side and then they're going to cross the Jordan River and they're going to basically take, this is the story that we find ourselves in, they're going to take all of the agricultural goods and basically um, pillage the land. So that's where we started. The Israelites had done evil in the sight of the Lord, and so he gave them into the, the power of the Midianites. Um, and because this oppression was so much, they prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Am Am Amalekites, and other eastern people invaded the country, came across the Jordan River, and they camped on the land, and they ruined all the crops, 
all the way down to Gaza, which is southern and towards the coast. They did not spare a living thing for Israel, not a sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock, there again, their herdsmen, and their tents like a swarm of locusts. Impossible to count them or their camels, and they invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So this picture kind of sets the story that you've got Israelites living in this land, but as people come across the herdsmen, they're, they're literally going and fighting, finding places to hide, um, to live, but more than that, to actually hide from these invading armies. And so this is, this is at the point in the book of Judges where we see that cycle where now the Israelites are going to cry out to God for deliverance. And so the first thing is simply um, this idea that um, when it all goes against you, um, what is the cycle or what is the, the, the deliverance of God that can come when everything is going against you? And so I might only be talking to five people today, but when everything is going against you, what does it begin to, uh, to look like? And so the next thing is simply God's word to Gideon. So God's word to Gideon comes uh, through the angel. And this is what God says to Gideon in chapter 6, verse 11. The angel of the Lord says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So a descriptive term of the skill sets or abilities of Gideon. And the angel of the Lord comes and says, there's a need in the land, and God is with you, mighty warrior. And I've thought all week about this, that when things are very challenging or things are difficult or there's a whole community that might be languishing, that when God comes to you, he might come to you and say, God is with you, mighty teacher. God is with you, administrator in the public school system, which is desperately in need. God is with you, accountant. God is with you, entrepreneur. God is with you, builder. God is with you, mother or father. God is with you, businessman. God is with you, politician in the city who has the ability, the skills, the capacity to be the mighty person that he's going to work through. And so I kind of found myself at this point putting, putting me into the story of Gideon. Um, when everything is going wrong, and if God would come to you and say, uh, I am with you, mighty fill in the blank. For me, uh, I just said, uh, when God is with you, mighty superhero. Because I <laughs> thought it'd be fun just to be a superhero. Um, you guys know what my superhero powers would be, right? Other than, other than talking, it would be the this, this superpower of taking everyone else's superpowers. Because it seems logical to me that you would invest your superpowers in more superpowers. Just like if you met a genie that was going to give you a wish, um, it would be really dumb if you wished for anything other than more wishes. That's just my thought on the matter. So things are really going difficult, one. Two, God comes to Gideon, and, and we can see ourselves in this. Who are you? What were you created to do? What skill sets do you have? And Gideon kind of, um, what we don't realize in most of the stories, 
tests God then and God has him put food out with a broth around it and then the, the angel of the Lord touches it and it burns up the broth and this, this kind of food sacrifice. So Gideon tests the Lord before he ever gets to the whole scenario of the fleece and when he finally gets to the fleece, he's basically saying, God, you're asking me to go up and into battle. I'm going to put this fleece out here and it needs to be wet and everything else needs to be dry so that I know the one that is in charge of the weather. In other words, God who has power is actually the one that's talking to me because nobody else could pull that kind of a trick. And so sure enough, God does this and the fleece is wet and he can wring out a whole bowl full and everything else is dry. And then Gideon says, um, God, don't be angry with me, but let me just do this in reverse now just to make sure. And so he puts out the fleece again, and he says, this time the fleece needs to be dry. And, and you, you can see yourself here in Gideon's story, can't you? Well, maybe it was just a strange summer night, you know? I don't know, it's like an inversion layer. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's why the fleece was wet. I gotta make sure that this wasn't some kind of, this really has to be from God. And so he says, the fleece needs to be dry, the ground needs to be wet, and sure enough, the next morning, it's like that. And, and Gideon basically says, I've heard from the Lord. Now, I grew up um, always hearing that the story of Gideon was a lack of faith, that he, that he was this weak kind of guy that kept, like, testing God, and I don't think that's the story at all, right? God comes to him and says, you're a mighty warrior, and I want you to go up into battle against these people that have so many more uh, people, numerical strength than you do. And Gideon does what I think is very logical. He measures twice because he's going to cut once, right? He, he, he wants to make sure that he's got it clear, measures twice. I actually think that's a pattern that we can live with in, in, the, in, in our day and age, that we ask God, please speak clearly to me, or, or I think you're saying something I, I really need to know that this is from you and not just bad tacos um, the night before or just my super extroverted friend that always makes me think that their ideas are somehow God's ideas for my life, right? And so, God, I, I think this is here. I need you to confirm it. Can you do some coincidences? Would you open a door? We use a lot of language this way. Would you bring somebody else along to confirm it, you know? Would you show me different ways that I could put it out there until I gain the confidence that's gonna allow me to aggressively focus on what it is you're calling me to do, which is what Gideon did. So then, um, the interesting thing about this is this is right after Lord gives uh, Gideon a first test. So I'll back up just a tiny bit here. The very first thing that God has Gideon do isn't to fight any battle. When, when he appears and calls him and does the first test, what he has Gideon do is cut down the Baal altars in, in his city, in his town, in his own home, uh, in his clan. And he goes out at night and he desecrates those altars and knocks down the poles, uh, these wood poles that they would use to worship foreign gods. Then, next step, Gideon, let's go deal with um, Malachites. What, what does that teach us? Well, we kind of already know this principle, but I think we have to really think it through. Um, that religious reform of family practices precedes or comes before 
God's deliverance or salvation with our external circumstances. God often asks us to clean up our own life so he can then work with us to clean up the circumstances outside of our life. And I think this is something that maybe we neglect in in our conversations within the American church. We all know what we think is wrong with the world and we all have very strong opinions of what's wrong with the world. And I think the ones that God would use to address the problems in the world, he's gonna have them first clean up their own house and submit to him and walk in integrity and purity and then move out to address what's beyond that. So uh, the religious reform in the house and then salvation outside of it. Um, And then as we continue and just wrap this story up, it's fascinating that what God does is he whittles down, like you saw in the video, um, the size of the army, and he does that for a reason. So Gideon is going out to surround the encampment. He has tens of thousands of people. That gets brought down to uh, an even smaller number by, by one-third. And then that number gets whittled by a test of how they're drinking water. And, and I can't really figure out if that was just a, a coin toss, this group you take because you need only this amount of people, or whether it was something about the way they knelt down and kept their eyes on the enemy and, and brought the water, water to their mouths versus the people that put their face in it and lapped it up um, kind of from the stream. I don't know that that really matters, but God basically pairs down the number and says that you are too big otherwise um, because if I go down with you, it needs to be me that you know is delivering you. So in other words, you're not going to do this, Gideon, out of your human strength. You're going to do this the way I'm calling you to do it, and it's going to be your faith that's going to prove you righteous, which is the story of the whole of Scripture, isn't it? That our righteousness doesn't come through our strength but it comes through our faith. Um, So this is how God says, uh, chapter seven, verse seven, the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. And so Gideon let the rest of the Israelites go home, but kept the 300. Um, So this is how God is gonna deliver the Israelites, not how Gideon is gonna pull off a Napoleon-esque master um, maneuver to win his military victory. So then the last thing is just what God does. God goes before Gideon and begins to plant dreams in, in, in the camp of two different people groups with two different cultures that have banded together into camp. And that matters in just a minute here um, as to what happens. But this, this massive army of two different cultures that, that Gideon is going against, and they go down to listen so that God can kind of strengthen their hearts. And they hear that there have been dreams in the camp, dreams that are being interpreted as somehow Gideon, this mighty warrior, is going to defeat us. And so there's fear and trepidation. What God has Gideon do is stand in the hills at night like the stars, or did anyone see the meteor shower last night? Was there one? At camp, they were all spending the night out on the beach to see a meteor shower, but then there was a whole discussion about whether that was false information, fake news. Was there? 
Nobody knows. There was. Okay. So um, the lights in the sky and, and seeing that and what it can represent. Here's Gideon on the hills. It's dark. And you got these people encamped. And as they fan out, they basically... Um, break the jars over torches, light the uh, torches, and make noise. And and out of nowhere, lights just appear on the horizon all around the army that's kind of camped there. And immediately they're struck with fear. Like they are upon us, and there must be so many of them. Look at the lights, listen to the noise. And as they panic, when you've got two different cultures uh, camped together as one army, you, you have Problems identifying who's a friend and who's a foe. And all of a sudden, they don't know what to do and they start cutting each other down. And then they turn and they run. And as they run, all the other tribes of Israel begin to pile in with Gideon and give pursuit. And this is how God brings victory. So if we want to just walk it back to our lives, when you are completely undone and hiding in the cave and your crops are run over, and you're crying out to God. If God responds, the angel of the Lord is going to come and touch somebody and say that I am with you and that you have the skill sets and the faith to be a part of what I'm going to do in this community or for your family. And that as we try to wrestle with what does that really mean and is this really you, God, God will show patience to make sure that his message to us is heard. And then when we have that message, we then have to walk forward in trust. It's not going to go logically the way we think. It's not about getting the biggest army, the sharpest weapons, and coming up with our own human strategies of strength. It's remembering that God himself, the God of power, is walking alongside and is, and is going in front of us so that he can use us as a part of his plan. Not that we're using him as a part of our plan. And so it recalls the whole beginning of the book of Joshua when Joshua runs into the angel of the Lord and Joshua says, whose side are you on? And the angel of the Lord says, wrong question. Whose side are you on, Joshua? And Joshua falls down and gives homage to the angel of the Lord. And so as we're dealing with what we're dealing with now in Bend, Oregon, or in the United States, financially, relationally, or health-wise, We come to a God that hears our cries. We come to a God that is bigger than what we can muster on our own. And we come to a God that if we walk in faith, will and can deliver us. Amen? And so in that short, quick summary, the theme is simply this, that God is faithful and that when we are going to find ourselves in God's plans, it requires There's no other way to do it than to walk forward and trust. That we have our hands open. We we know God's doing something. We can't see the end of it. Uh, God works a lot like headlights on a car. You can see just just far enough to be able to drive, but you can't see Bend, Oregon from Crescent Lake. You can get to Bend, Oregon from Crescent Lake, but you can't see it with those headlights. So we walk forward and trust. We trust that there'll be enough toilet paper uh, during the eclipse, enough water. Um, I'm trying. It's family service. I heard there was going to be kids, so extra humor. Um, (laughs) 
But in, in all seriousness, I think the greatest struggle that I find when I am having my sleepless nights, even recently, um, is really this question. God, will you show up? God, where are you showing up? And God, where do I need to be if I'm going to be a part of what you're doing? And the story of Gideon just brings us back to that, that crucible of faith and the faith journey, and the fact that we do this as a community because together we can walk this better than we ever could alone. Um, I don't think uh, they'd mind me sharing it, but Lindsay Hendricks had a, a really difficult drive going up to camp. Her daughter kept getting sick, so she was driving by herself with her daughter, and her daughter just kept getting car sick over and over. It took a three-hour trip to get to camp. It only takes about an hour and 20 minutes and when she had now multiple articles of clothing and bears and blankies that had 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 uh, that her daughter had gotten sick on, and she's stopping every couple miles and trying to figure this out, she was pulled over on the side of the road, and Aaron Wells is going the other direction because he had to get back to Redmond um, because he was working. He's a Redmond police officer, one of our elders, is working the night shift for the last couple nights. And he's driving by, and he recognizes the car, and he pulls over, and he, he ends up helping and encouraging Lindsay, and then says, hey, give me all that stuff, wraps it all up, and, and goes, I'll take it back and put it somewhere for you so that you don't have to have all this in your car or at camp. And then he goes, and she finishes. And in talking with Evan, um, what a beautiful picture of the value of community and how in little ways when we're struggling, um, even with just the exhaustion of a parent with a child trying to make it to camp, um, that God sends help in the form of our Christian brothers and sisters. That's what church is about. We're walking a faith journey. We're walking it together. Amen? So I'm going to pray for us. Uh, the band's going to come back up. Um, with their, their superstar rock drummer um, by the name of Esther. Um, you, you can totally be a fan. Um, she needs a fan club. Uh, but they're going to come back up uh, and sing for us. And, and I'm just going to ask of you, uh, as you enter into this time of worship, and there's communion elements up front, the bread, the body of Christ, the, the juice, the wine, the blood of Christ, the reminder that his body and blood were, were shed, broken and shed for us as a way of, of nourishing and nurturing us, sustaining us through the difficulty of life, okay? That we're coming to be reminded by that symbolism that goes back 2,000 years and even further with the Israelites, that before you do that, you just ask this question, God, where am I overrun where do I feel like I'm literally hiding in a cave? Um, could you use me? Could you use somebody in my network, uh, their skill sets, their talents? Could you begin to deliver me? And please, God, give me the faith, even if I'm weak, to learn and to understand that you truly are working or, or operating in my midst and that we come forward in faith to take communion knowing that our God hears our cries, that we are not forgotten children. Amen? Father, we do commit again this morning to you. We commit our brothers and sisters down at Crescent Lake. We commit um, our brothers and sisters in countries all around the world, in Asia, 
in Europe, in uh, Charlottesville. Um, right now, we, we just want to unite with all of, of your people that are wrestling with the complexity of life and trying to have it be Christ in us that comes out as our response to the world, that we would witness to the world. And as we do that and struggle to do that, Father, reinforce the bonds of the church, that we would be united as you want us to be united and encouraged in spirit. And I pray that for our community this morning especially. In Jesus' name, amen.